And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Andy Shilton. And I'm Steffi Barnett. Today we're racing with pride. Uh, Steph talks to Richard Morris from the LGBT Plus Association. And News Extra. Uh, the lovely Terry is here to take a deep dive into the news items that you've been the hottest on. All today, right here on Shout Out. Uh, yeah, that was me. I lost my mouth. <laughs> As you ran, do. You ran away. <laughs> that, that, that was, you were chasing it all over the studio. <laughs> eek, eek. <laughs> that was what I was... I feel privileged you let me have the power line on uh, the intro. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting to get my own back with a tongue twister in the opening. Ain't gonna happen. So, <laughs> that was so funny the other week. I, I rehearsed it and rehearsed it and got it right. Then we did it live on air and I just screwed it up. <laughs> As you so. do. Anyway, hello, Matthew. Hello. It's, uh, very, yes. It's, it's like uh, in person. Yay. And yeah. 3D, 3D. If you listen very carefully to your radio, uh, you'll hear me in 3D this week. I'm actually in <laughs> yeah. the studio. Well, I can prove that he's alive. I've just thrown my mic muff at Matthew and he, he twitched. It bounced. <laughs> so, and if I'm right, Terry should be there. Terry? Well, I can... Knock, knock, who's there? Terry, Terry. T- Dear Terry Star, this is Shout Act, broadcasting live from BCFM Studios in Bristol. And we still haven't got him. Come on, Terry. Found it. <laughs> Terry? Hello? This could be the whole show of me calling Terry. Are you there? Easy evaporated. I am. Oh, hey. Hey. Hello. There we go. I was speaking to you. Yeah, sorry. But, that, um, it's what I we call a technical was... fault, I think. Oh, yes. Dear, oh, dear. Or, or, or Andy, as I'm more commonly known. Come on, you know, all we needed to do was put another coin in the meat. <laughs> That's true. BCFM has so, trouble paying its bills. What kind of trashy queen do you think I am? <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. I found another 50p and uh, <laughs> we're off to business. Right, is that a question yes, you need indeed. answering, Terry? <laughs> trashy queen, what type? Uh, I love being a trashy queen, I am. Okay. You know me. <laughs> Working class and proud every step of the way. Good for you. Talking of pride and proud, it was Peter Tatchell's birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday. Yes. Yes. 70. Uh, good 70. friend of the show. Good, good friend of the show. show. We've interviewed him many times. He's a lovely guy. Very yes. nice. On yes. a more sombre note, we should note that today is Holocaust Memorial Day, or at least the day we go out on our home station, BCFM, and several other stations. But uh, this weekend, anyway, Holocaust Memorial Weekend. Mm. There's some very important exhibitions online. And I think Prince Charles is is involved in um, lighting yeah, a, been... a beacon, so I heard. On the uh, he's, also, he's had a whole load of portraits painted of um, uh, Holocaust survivors. He did, um, yes. and, and it was on the Absolutely it was on the news incredible. earlier, and they, they they were saying that they were trying to also capture yeah. um, certain things. It was like there was one of a woman, and she had a necklace on, mm. and um, the whole way through, she kept the necklace in her shoe. 
and she's worn it ever since she was liberated from the, yeah. the camp. So they, they were trying to do things like that and get it involved. So yeah, very yeah. very moving. Very. Yeah, there, yeah. there are no there are no surviving um, members of the gay community that were incarcerated in concentration camps during the Second World War under the Nazi regime. They're, they're all dead. But there's a very good book if you have the opportunity to read it. It was published in about 1985, called The Pink Triangle by mm. Richard Plant, and that is the uh, par excellence. Uh, textbook on the subject if you're a student of history yes and i believe if you go onto youtube and look for the last of the pink triangles um uh, there's um it's been translated into english as well there's there's an interview with the last guy that survived oh, is um, and Excellent. you can see see that oh, so yeah. certainly yeah. there the other year when i looked yeah. so yeah very, very moving um, and a lot yes, of people I'm don't sure. realise that's why um, the pink triangle is associated with, with gay men because that was the the symbol well, they were given, wasn't used. it? Yeah. 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 In uh, fact, so, Dave, yeah. um, I've got um, a poster. Dot. I've got a photograph of a poster that the Nazis put out um, to actually signify who was who. Mm. So they yeah, had quite a few, d- different they? levels of um, have a Jewish insignia, like a um, code, for gay, mm. for yes, Polish yes, black, people, black triangle uh, gypsies, for disabled people. Brown triangle for gypsies, yeah. um, and uh, a violet triangle for Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. and I believe very dark period in European history. Uh, I believe very sadly as well when the camps were liberated, it was gay men who weren't as liberated because it was illegal in a lot of countries to be gay. So they actually ended up coming out of the camp and just going to prison. They were some of them were re-imprisoned in, mm. in in the new Germany, yes. And actually, ironically, it was um, East Germany, the communist East, that decriminalised homosexuality before the Federal West. Right. Uh, which, wow. Which took until 1969 to do so. Yeah. yeah. Wow. As ever, Terry, you are a fountain of knowledge. Well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> and as are you, Matthew. <laughs> oh, big pats on the back going round your studio. <laughs> the love family, the, love from the news team. That's what it is. <laughs> it is. It is. We is that not incestuous? Us news readers stick together, staff. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, listen, um, uh, we're going motor racing uh, in a minute, um, or rather, uh, Steffi. <laughs> talk, talk to somebody who's motor racing. <laughs> I won't, won't spell the story. So, um, you're listening to Shelter. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Right, you can't help but have noticed that fantastic helmet that uh, Lewis Hamilton has been wearing recently in Formula One, um, the LGBTQ flag, in fact, which is absolutely brilliant support from such a high-standing racer. Um, I'm with Richard Morris, who is LGBTQ and helps run, or you do run, Richard, the um, LGBTQ organisation for motor racing. Hi, yeah, I'm Richard Morris and I'm co-founder of Racing Pride, which, as you say, is the organisation to positively promote LGBTQ plus inclusion through motorsport. Now, how did you get into motorsport? Uh, So I was always interested in cars and racing um, since a very young age. As a toddler, I used to push toy cars around the floor and that kind of thing. Probably inspired by my dad being really into motorsport. Um, he used to watch the Formula One on TV uh, every race, been following it for years. And so I guess that kind of rubbed off on me. And then, um, like a lot of people, I didn't really know how to turn that into 
actually being in motorsport and it kind of happened almost by accident just going along to a little arrive and drive karting birthday party my mate was having um and yeah i won that time and uh i wanted to keep coming back (laughs) you got the bug because where are you actually now in in your career of motor racing what level so uh, I'm t- delighted to say I'm now an international racing driver. I uh, announced very recently a new team manufacturer I'm driving for called Revolution Race Cars, and I race in a series called the European Sports Prototype Cups. So I'm now racing across Grand Prix circuits around Europe in a sports prototype car, which is uh, quite cool (laughs) that is very cool richard very cool indeed um now the organization racing pride is also international is that right yeah racing pride uh started off obviously uh here in the uk uh, with me and some people i managed to get together uh to launch it a bit of help from stonewall uk and and some other organizations here um we built it up we got some european ambassadors as well as our uk ones and started to work with some international motorsport teams including in formula one which is uh obviously a massive step for us particularly our public partnership with aston martin uh formula one team which we announced pride month last year and we've worked with various teams and drivers uh since then which has been absolutely fantastic and uh yeah we've just recently announced a expansion into north america as well with some north american partners and ambassadors how how difficult or how different is the American market to the British um, market re-LGBTQ and motor racing? I think uh, I was apprehensive about going to North America for a couple of reasons. One was how would they receive an initiative that hadn't started in North America? Um, and the other was just wondering how receptive... Uh, North America would be to an LGBTQ plus movement. But um, actually, there have been a few indications as I was sort of starting to put this together that um, that they would be receptive. And we've seen in in the last couple of years in America, NASCAR has intensified its public support for LGBTQ plus inclusion, working with You Can Play, who are now racing Pride partners. Um, There have been a few drivers starting to talk about being LGBTQ plus in the sport and I reached out to them and I'm delighted to say that those ones I reached out to have now become ambassadors for us Um, and yeah I mean I think you're always going to have a mixed reception with these kind of things but we did find a lot of support and allyship and we've managed to put together some great partners and, and ambassadors and get some representation across different areas of the sport from nascar through drag racing drift racing um and what they call road racing which is what we'd call circuit racing so yeah i mean it's gone actually probably better than i expected and had a warmer reception than i expected if i'm honest but uh delighted by it (laughs) yeah absolutely now motor racing if you include everything is absolutely vast Richard, how do you manage it? Have you got a large team around you? Yeah, so I'm lucky that we've started to build up a really great team. Um, So we've always been built around having ambassadors uh, in different roles in the sport, which is great because they come with experience and they come with connections um, and their own kind of ideas about where we could go and how we could build this up. And we've just built that up over time, trying to pick the right people. I've also got some great support um, on the organizational side from our three directors we have. 
um, and uh, want to see people helping with the social media and all that side of things, a bit of journalism. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is a lot of work and it has kind of taken over my life a little bit. Uh, I still find time for the racing myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it has taken up a lot of my time. But no, I've, I'm really lucky. I've got a great team of people around me. <laughs> good, good. We hear, hear a lot about homophobia in other sports. Probably football is the biggest grouping of sports that have a lot of homophobia. Have you come up against homophobia in motor racing? I mean, yes is the, is the answer. It's only been very rare for me to have um, direct homophobia. Uh, the, there was an incident while I was karting, while I was a teenager, where I had homophobic terms written on my cart, which was uh, not great. Um, and there have been people who have um, not been directly homophobic, but have said that they, well, aggressively homophobic, but they've said that they weren't comfortable with me talking about being gay around them. Um, that's happened once or twice. But the main thing really, I think, is a, is a kind of cultural issue of I hadn't seen LGBTQ plus people like me uh, before in the sport. So I didn't have those kind of role models to look to. And what I had seen and heard was, you know, a little casual use of homophobic language. And I'd seen a lot of imagery to suggest that, you know, as a racing driver, you have to be this macho man, this uh, stereotype. And I, I realized I wasn't that. Um, so, so those were the kind of the issues. But um, equally, having said that, I really do have to say I have had enormous support in the sport as well. And particularly since the launch of Racing Pride, since people have known that, that I was gay and I was, I was publicly out and that I was doing this, um, I have had very vocal support around me, too. And, and the, most, the, the motorsport community as a whole has, has been really great about it. Of course, you get one or two, but the majority have been fantastic and i think that's what i wanted to achieve with racing pride was getting people talking about this getting people to realize that there are lgbtq plus people around them in the paddock to think about what they're saying and to have a way of showing their support and creating inclusion because until you talk about these things you can't really have visible audible allyship Right, let's go to the big boys now. Formula One, Richard. Um, now, we've obviously seen support from Lewis Hamilton, but what other support has there been that's emerging uh, from Formula One? Yeah, so historically, there wasn't much visible representation of the LGBTQ plus community in, in Formula One or much discussion about it. But um, we have started to see a little bit of change um, in the last few years since Racing Pride started in 2019. So in 2020, Sebastian Vettel, who was then driving for Ferrari, now he drives for Aston Martin, which is our partner team. Uh, at the Turkish Grand Prix in 2020, he wore a helmet with the rainbow on it um, in support of the LGBTQ plus community, which I thought was fantastic. Um, and really things have picked up a lot uh, in 2021 since we launched that public partnership with Aston Martin Formula One team in Pride Month. That was the first time that a world championship level team had really committed to supporting the LGBTQ plus community. And then we had rainbow halos on the car, the bit around the cockpit is called the halo, had rainbow halos on the car at a couple of Grand Prix. 
Sebastian Vettel now driving for that team has been magnificent, having the rainbow helmet a couple of times this season, other LGBTQ plus messages on his helmet, wearing T-shirts at the pre-race um, moments uh, to, to mark diversity uh, that have rainbows all over them. Lewis Hamilton, of course, has done his pride helmet, which has been brilliant. Other drivers have got involved too with the support of T-shirts, people like Mick Schumacher wearing rainbow colours. So from the sport never really having done anything much before 2020 to have the rainbow anywhere uh, for LGBTQ plus inclusion, we are now seeing a number of drivers across teams starting to show support, which is really fantastic. It is. Now, I don't expect you to name names, uh, but are there any well-known names that we're all aware of, household names in Formula One that are actually LGBTQIA? Um, so uh, I personally am not aware whether any anyone on the current grid is LGBTQIA. Um, uh, I, uh, what I would say is we shouldn't see that as the kind of magic bullet of we shouldn't say oh if an f1 driver came out everything would be better um i think what we have to do is create the supportive environment in motorsport where more lgbtq plus people get into the sport in the first place at the grassroots level feel comfortable feel like they belong feel they can progress as themselves as who they authentically are and then we will get to a stage where we have authentic LGBTQ plus drivers at the very highest level. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly, Richard. Now, if people want to actually get involved with your organisation, if uh, you've got a website and watch your social media. So the website for Racing Pride is racingpride.com, nice and simple. Um, and we're across social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Our handle is at Racing Pride HQ for headquarters okay. <laughs> as Racing Pride HQ. <laughs> Richard Morris, good luck with your future going forward and um, maybe soon you'll be in Formula 3, 2 and 1. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Richard. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Oh, I, I shouldn't have told you the year off air then. Like, I could have made you guess. But yeah, yeah that was uh, 1993 that song came out. Oh, what a surprise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got the glow sticks out. So that's uh, Jam and Spoon with um, uh, Right in the Night. Well, it was a huge hit, but it was not a chart topper. Only reached number 10 over here in the UK. Great name for a group. Jam and Spoon. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, some of the names that they also pseudonymed under, I can't actually read out on the radio. Not broadcastable. <laughs> so, uh, but Wikipedia, if you would like to know. So, uh, yeah, God, that takes me back. What's that now, 30 years coming up for? 19. Oh, please, don't say that. <laughs> Just sit down now. <laughs> Sorry about you. So, anyway, um, Terry, are you there? I certainly am, oh, yes. Marvellous, cool. Feeling um, old. Feeling old. Did you, did you like that song too, then? I did, I remember it being played yeah. in all the clubs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. So. Those were the days. Indeed. Anyway, uh, let's get some news headlines. Why not? <laughs> Why 
This is Shoutout News on Thursday the 27th of January. France has become the latest European country to ban gay conversion therapies. It will now be a criminal offence to impose heterosexuality on LGBTQIA people. Benoit Bert represents one of the campaign organisations which helped bring the bill before Parliament and said it's the first time in French history that an LGBTQIA right to protection has been voted unanimously in all chambers. Usually the political parties are very divided. So it was extremely beautiful and symbolically strong to see the them united to defend the right to be who you are. A woman with a long history of campaigning for peace and justice is to become an ordained minister within the Church of Scotland. Dr Ursula Glinecki first began her faith-based work in the Baltic state of Latvia, which was then under Soviet rule and part of Russia. She cut her teeth during a period when it was dangerous to be interested in peace and justice in the communist empire. On the subject of her ordination, Dr Glinecki said, As part of the role, I can bring in the things that are most important to me, such as working for social justice, against racism, against against poverty, promoting the environment, supporting LGBTQ plus people and working with people from other faiths. The UK has been identified as a place where extensive and often virulent attacks on the rights of LGBT plus people have occurred over the past several years. The concern has been raised by the Parliamentary Council of Europe, PACE, which has listed the UK along with Hungary, Poland, Russia and Turkey. PACE is Europe's overarching human rights body. In its report, council members singled out the UK as a country that's seen a rise in anti-trans rhetoric. It condemned the attacks on LGBTQI people and said that advances made in equal rights were under threat. One of Britain's most respected bisexual Christian activists has sharply criticised both Russia and the NATO allies in the standoff over the Ukraine, describing both sides as engaging in playground name-calling. Simon Hill is a director of the progressive Christian network Ecclesia, but made his remarks as part of his work with the Peace Pledge Union, one of the UK's foremost anti-war and pacifist networks. Now, During the early years of the gay liberation movement in the 60s and 70s, there was a strong anti-war component developed within groups such as the Gay Liberation Front and the Gay Activists Alliance, and to this day a considerable number of LGBTQIA people support the aims of the Peace Pledge Union and other groups in the peace movement. The gay fashion designer, perfumier and creative force behind the iconic Mugler brand has died at the age of 73. Thierry Mugler has been remembered by many LGBTQIA commentators, women's rights campaigners and disability activists for heading up a brand through the 70s, 80s and early 90s which championed diversity on the catwalk and runway. His displays often included older people, people with disabilities, porn stars, drag artists and transgender people. Monsieur Mugler also worked as a stylish to stars of the pop music world, including Michael Jackson, Grace Jones and George Michael. One of Monsieur Mugler's most challenging and celebrated creations included Davy Bowie with his androgynous gown for the single Boys Keep Swinging. Pink News described him as a cornerstone of pop culture who dominated the world and constantly revitalised his work. Readers of the daily free newspaper The Metro have little time for the homophobia of a self-professed devout Christian couple called Luke Main and Joanna Bunker, who declined to show their home for sale to a prospective gay buyer. The religious pair were condemned by readers of the paper, with one correspondent countering that true faith requires people to reach out to everyone in society. The correspondent also offered their support to the estate agent Purple Bricks for refusing to deal with any homophobia in advertising properties. 
Gay City's website has reported on an amazing find in the long-standing LGBTQIA community on Fire Island in the United States. Husbands Peter Chris and Nate Pinsley bought a vacation home on the island last summer. The pair found that the previous gay couple to own the property had left behind a huge collection of belongings, including a crate of cassette tapes, which included dance music sets by gay club DJs from the 80s and 90s. The couple enlisted the help of Joe Espinosa, a gay DJ based in Brooklyn. Espinosa has digitised the recordings and posted them on Mixcloud as the Pink Wall Collection. The collection will bring back many memories for LGBTQIA people who were all on the club scene back in the 80s and 90s and will link younger members of our community to their shared culture. We have posted a link to the Mixcloud page on the Shoutout website. And finally, the gay comic Tom Allen has been selected as one of the co-presenters of the BAFTA Awards that are due to take place in the second week of March. Mr Allen will be presenting and interviewing from the event's famous red carpet and quipped, I'm delighted to be on the red carpet or indeed any carpet at all as I have laminate flooring in my home. His co-presenter will be AJ Adudo. For these news stories and more, we update our website every day. Please visit shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shout Out News, this has been Terry Starr and Matthew Tosh. Shout Out News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout Out, LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. A lovely bit of Nicky French there. I still love Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh, but that's a uh, don't play that song again. So, why did you? Because I know Steffi likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I like a bit of Nicky. Yeah. What's not to like about Nicky no, French? She's lovely. Yeah, we were just talking off air. One of the loveliest interviews we've ever done at a prize. And loudest. Yeah, loudest, yeah. She's very enthusiastic. Very enthusiastic, oh, wasn't she? So, no, diplomatic um, as usual. <laughs> Now, is that a uh, time of the month um, where we kind of hand the reins oh, over I to I thought you were going to say something else then. It's your time uh, of the month. Well, it is for uh, news it's, extra. It's Terry's time yeah. of the month. Oh, it's Terry's okay. time of the month. Okay. So, which we're Can, Well, they do, they do say that uh, men have sort of cycles in their brains, don't they, that are, that are based on the lunar cycle. Well, well I've, I've, I've seen it written anyway. I haven't been married for many have. years, yes. I can testify to that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. you, Carl. <laughs> oh. Well, there we are. Hello, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll give him a kick under the table. Someone give him a kick under the table. <laughs> so, but no, uh, this is the um, point where uh, we kind of take a uh, more in-depth look at some of the news stories that are uh, the hottest ones you look at on our website oh. and like. So, and um, yes, uh, Terry is our main newsman. Um, it tastes the race. So what have you got for us this week, then, Terry? Well, two subjects uh, this week, and I suppose they're both pretty serious to start with tonight i wanted to talk about international politics and the military and the military situation in eastern europe is the most tense it's been since the collapse of the yugoslav state which led to those vicious internecine civil wars across the balkan nations back in the 90s and some observers have gone further and said that the present build-up of russian forces on the border with ukraine presents the most serious challenge to western democracies since our defeat of germany in the second world war and the creation of the modern order in europe 
And from an LGBTQIA perspective, it's quite interesting because neither Russia nor the Ukraine are particularly good places to live. In fact, the International Gay and Lesbian Association this week released a map in which I think the scores of both countries are certainly under 20% uh, of their sort of ideal for a gay-friendly and trans-friendly environment. Mm. Uh, they're culturally conservative countries where the militantly anti-gay Russian Orthodox Church wields considerable political power. So no wonder that many LGBTQIA people support the peace movement's position of a pox on both your houses, so to speak, with respect to these two countries. I suppose I put this in really because it is dominating all the news and I just wondered what kind of sense do you think uh, you have from the community about um, whether people are worried about war in Eastern Europe and whether we think the Russians are going to go through with you know, invading Q Ukraine which uh, some people have suggested could be on the uh, cards. What do we think guys? Um, can I just mention I know we, we know that Russia and Ukraine are both um, anti-LGBTQ uh, mm. or take that stance. Mm. Traditionally yeah. yeah. Yeah but today the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe has identified the UK alongside oh, Hungary point. Poland, Russia, Turkey and Ukraine. Yeah, as was in the news. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it was in the news, wasn't yes. it? Yes, particularly yeah. because of the anti-trans rhetoric we've mm. seen ramped up yeah. in the in the press. Indeed, we'll come on to yeah. the media and anti-trans rhetoric. I mean, a bit it, later. it seems to be something you know that um, uh, all the countries are really concerned about. And I, I'm assuming mm. it's because of the size of Russia and the power that they have, because they've got full-on nuclear arsenal, haven't they? Mm. Well, this is it, isn't you it? Know. You know and the mean? problem is, the West just let them take Crimea. And never budged, you know, no sanctions or anything. I, mm. I guess they're feeling a little bit emboldened. And um, last week, um, Biden actually said that, well, if there's only a little incursion, then maybe we won't do anything. Uh, What's a little incursion? Is well, it an incursion or no incursion, isn't it? Well, Donet is it Donetsk, the, the Donetsk, eastern yeah. state? Um, so that's where the, the this, like, civil war, inverted commas, is going on. And I think Biden must have been talking about that, that where the incursion has already taken place with um, mercenaries, that mm. if Russia pulls, uh, that takes their troops into that area and takes over that part of Ukraine, that uh, the US wouldn't do anything. Of course, that was rescinded within seconds <laughs> by, by the White House press people. Um, and um, also, uh, there was uh, quite a statement from the, the Ukrainian government, who, um, who yeah. were obviously a bit worried about that. I mean, Steph, you're, you, you have uh, family who have served in the British military. Um, are they particularly concerned? Have they said anything to you? Are they concerned about, you know, or, or do they think this is just sabre-rattling 19th century style? No, I think they're hoping that it's sabre-rattling. I mean, yeah. both of them have, uh, have left the army now. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't move that number of uh, tanks and troops to a border with another country. For well, no it could be. It's a big threat, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess that you you is bully tactics, I yeah. guess. And uh, yeah. I hope they're. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, I'm, military stuff's not one of my hottest topics. I have have to admit, I'm a long long way from it. Um, other than uniform. Um, but <laughs> 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 You know, but if, if, if I'm right, um, isn't NATO like the like 
like international agreement, and if you're part of that, um, but then Ukraine is and not. Ukraine is not. Uh, but they, that's the whole point. Yeah, but haven't they Russia, chosen not to be? No, they would like to be part of NATO, as, a, oh, as right, in okay. they're trying to be part of the European Union. Russia is doesn't want either of that to happen. Yeah. They don't want them part of the EU or um, or NATO. Well, now, with, with their anti-LGBT thing, I, I would question the, whether the EU would let them in. But then I well, also you know say the that, EU but look at Poland, yeah. Hungary, and now we're also up there with them yeah. the UK and then they were not part of the EU but we're part of NATO and mm. we've just transferred a load of troops into Poland mm. um, have uh, we right. yes we have yeah. Um, yeah. we already had a base there only small I think it was about 850 troops but they put some more over there I think we were leading um, an armed group armored group that um, included uh, Spanish and Dutch but both uh, Spain France uh, Holland have all said that they're going to push more troops further east now. And mm. although this wasn't mm. out in the press very much, um, the UK, as you probably know, pulled out of West Germany. They had the, the whole of North northern germany after the second world war loads of british bases across that part of the country yeah the u.s had the southern part well they pulled all the brits out and pulled them back into a huge town um that was um uh, similar to old shop but around tidworth so they pulled all these troops out of germany but now they're putting them back in one of the older bases halfway down the A2 and if you hook a right halfway up the A2 towards um, Berlin, the British base is just opening up. And that is so that they've got a dropping off point on their way to mm. Eastern Europe. Well, the problem is it's mm. going on all over the world. I mean, you look at like um, um, North Korea and everything that's going on there and China kind of vying for... For things you know it's this i think it's, that's is the world just becoming more unstable it's be, becoming a be. lot more unstable mm. when you look yeah, at what uh, I mean, right. china's doing yeah. uh, around i mean to trying to take over philippine air philippine areas uh vietnam you know with that and of course the big um the big spike in their side is taiwan yeah well of course i mean if you go back in history there is Loads of times when one country has conquered another and um, taken it over. The UK being one of the, the worst one of the worst conquests. <laughs> you know, yeah, the problem the tiny is the weapons island are a little and, bit more yeah, uh, damaging these days. That, that for yeah. me is the more scary bit. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, because that could wipe out the whole whole yeah. of the earth. Yeah. You know, I would like to think a lot of this is that kind of you know big bravado. Let's put some tanks there, but in yeah. actual fact, you know. Um, and, and then My sit car is down bigger round, than your car, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but then sit down around a table and actually, yeah. you know. But it's not just like so. you said. In, in the, because in they met, was it in France? They met in France, didn't they, with America to try and um, Putin they did. did to, they did and to, talks uh, are ongoing. Yeah. And the thing is, those are just the ones we know about. We can be bet your bottom dollar oh, that totally. intelligence yeah. agencies will be in touch with each other. Yeah. Because at least one thing is true, and that is that. When I mean, this happened during the Cold War between the Soviet Empire and the, the Western capitalist countries, is that if if there had been a full-scale nuclear exchange, no one would have survived. No. It would have wiped everyone no. out. And I so know, hopefully they are going to pull back from any kind of and suggestion I, of that. I know that um, when Chernobyl exploded, um, it really gave a kind of eerie echo of what would happen just with, you know, a quarter of one of the missiles. Um, um, and I know um, it's well documented that it was a big step in stopping the Cold War 
um, and the like and, and it scared the living daylights out of a lot of different governments that oh my god we have these big powerful weapons but look what happens <laughs> you know I mean Chernobyl killed a lot of people and to this day is still yeah. uh, you still can, contaminated yeah, yeah. and will yeah. be for about a thousand years but when you've got yeah. unstable yeah. countries like North Korea mm. aiming to have a nuclear weapon and Iran on the verge mm. you know and Israel saying <laughs> you will not have a nuclear weapon you know there's there's yeah. problems yes, all the over East, the world of course and yeah. I believe that um, India I mean, and Pakistan both have nuclear weapons but they're undeclared under the nuclear treaties but it's widely accepted that they both have nuclear technology uh, Pakistan yeah. does but the US keeps an awful tight rein on, on those weapons do they? yes right yeah, yeah. I mean it's yeah I, I, I don't know how you feel I feel quite powerless to do much about things like um you know what's going on in in ukraine and and russia um you know it's so big it's one of those you kind of have no choice but to rely on the governments and hope to god they know what they're doing yeah you know but just this moment in time andy you got the power in the studio (laughs) you have control of the sliders and the buttons yeah but when i press my button a red light comes on it doesn't do anything more than that nothing (laughs) more than that fortunately your adrenaline pumps (laughs) are we going on air but yeah i mean for for, for me personally it's one of those things i I just wish we concentrate on, on more important things like the fact that you know we're absolutely wrecking the planet as it is without letting off a single mm. um, um, a weapon and yeah. you know there is not equality we don't treat people right and they're classic countries that are doing a really bad job of it to me they're far more important than you know trying to invade someone you leave them alone it's their country <laughs> you know if they want to yeah. be their own country let them be their own country makes you wonder what the mentality of some of the leaders around the world in those countries like Putin and, and Trump was very similar that they just want to conquer and keep going. It's almost like an addiction, isn't it? It's like a thirst for And you think, why? You've got your country. You've got millions of people that you're controlling. The the problem is, um, it wasn't us, because it wasn't our generation, but as a country, we did go out and conquer half the world. That's what formed the Commonwealth, you know. So it's a little... And before that, the empire. Yeah, it's a little bit ironic for us to be saying that, you know. But, I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, but times are different now, aren't they? You know, you'd have thought people have grown up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a, do you think there's any truth in that? I mean, during the 1970s, the, the gay liberation movement, the, the left of it in particular, was very allied with the peace movement and actually regarded adventures like the Vietnam War as just a big load of, um, uh, well, sort of like men posturing. And there was a strong feminist analysis about war and masculinity and so on. A mm. um, lot of books written on the subject. I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, a lot, well, a lot of wars have been yeah. uh, due to things like that. I mean, well, King Vietnam King... was a different case, wasn't it? Because that was sorted after the Second World War. And that, again, was the Axis powers drawing straight lines on mm. maps and saying, right, that, that's why the Balkans kicked off. Because instead of keeping what was Yugoslavia in separate countries, they said, oh, they'd be fine Good together. Oh, there. really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, Yugoslavia was an interesting case because Yugoslavia, although it was a communist country, was out of the orbit of Moscow, much to the frustration of the Russians. Mm -hmm. They were like an independent communist state run by Marshal Tito, and um, who was known as the beggar of Europe because he he kept it together. Terry, he did keep it together, but Mm. with an iron fist, of course, which is you know the bad side of all that. Mm. Um, Of course, we should acknowledge, you know, as well as that sort of pacifist movement in the GLF, there are an awful lot of 
of LGBTQIA people who have served in the military, and we've broadcast the uh, Proud to Serve um, sequence of programmes recently, uh, talking um, about the days when they weren't allowed to serve. But these days, and for the last 22 years, uh, I think it's worth at least acknowledging and celebrating that we don't have that kind of homophobic or tr- transphobic military. So not homophobic military, trans people accept a little bit more recently, of course. No, but there's a big um, investigation going on, isn't it? I, I saw it. The BBC have kind of picked this story up as well and mm. are, are running with it and are looking... Um, um, I don't think it's BBC running, running the um, report into it, but a report is being well, done into... Um, how it affected um, LGBT people in the military who got things like dishonourably yeah. discharged and lost their pensions mm. and lost their know, medals. Not, yeah. not should they be entitled to compensation, but how much they should get because they're they're pretty much saying, yeah, you should. We should never have treated you like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it screwed up a lot of people's job. lives. You know, I, I had a friend who was dishonourably discharged. Right. Um, and, and lost lost everything, mm. um, yeah. and uh, you know. So I'm I'm really pleased that the military have sorted it now, but they need to um, mop up the mess that was made. Yeah. So have you got one more for us, Terry? I have. Talking of the BBC, the right wing news channel GB News reports that the government is to freeze the BBC's license fee for the next two years. Nadine Dores, who is the culture secretary, mm. uh, she's been gunning for the BBC for some time, and I think it's probably safe to say she's ideologically opposed to public service broadcasting now i know we've dealt with the bbc before but there's a lot of criticism at the moment particularly from trans campaigners about the way in which the bbc has reported a lot of trans issues so um will a freeze on the license fee make any difference to your pocket and do you think the quality of bbc programs is likely to suffer as a consequence of the freeze uh i think there'll be less um, and if it ends up going to a subscription model, it's like, oh, great, well, I pay for Netflix and Amazon, and now I've got to pay for the BBC as well. But then you could also argue that was what your licence fee was, so you're, you're getting the choice. Yeah. So. That, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and it could, in, in a, one way of thinking about it, it could get them to book their ideas up because they would them into a competitive model. Mm. I think the bit I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with is that it's the, it's the notion of, public service broadcasting people who can't afford subscription models um i mean you can say that they may not be able to afford the license fee but there are there are there are, there are schemes out there that can help people mm. um is it serves as a public service mm. you know and uh, you think about times of disaster i'm thinking back to when i was little um show my age when they had the, the snow desk on the local bbc radio you could find out which schools were open and but closed you know that's what? just an example that yeah. Too. Yes, yes. yeah but yeah. Her, the reason and i know she's so far right wing that she's nearly fallen off the planet um <laughs> miss doris um she said in one of the reasons that uh, she wanted to uh, get rid of the license fee is that as an example she doesn't use all the bbc she only listens to maybe radio 4 and the news channel now and again and and uh, uh, bbc parliament i hate this argument yeah why <laughs> it's, it's that's like, like me saying i don't want to pay my council tax because yeah. i got no kids anymore yeah. i'm not playing for i don't that. listen to bbc care. i don't yeah. listen to bbc alba because i don't understand gaelic but uh, you know there i'm you not going to you should have a percentage you know, discount i think i need a discount i need to yeah. <laughs> right <I'll be. laughs> 
<laughs> I was getting, one of my follow-on questions, just to, to round off with, is how should LGBTQI people feel about the development? Now, as we acknowledge, lots and lots of people have criticism of the BBC's apparent bias over trans issues recently. But the question I want to ask is, if we collapse public service broadcasting into a more US model, where everything is free market, will things actually get worse? Could we end up with outlets like Fox News, for example, which is very, very politically biased? Well, of course, very, very right. I mean, anything's. Well, I thought we had one. I said it's called GB GB News. (laughs) (laughs) Well, GB News um, is more moderate than Fox News. Really? Yes, it it is is a bit right wing, but they have to abide by Ofcom's rules at the moment. My my observation of the BBC is I mean, it's like you're looking at all the stuff that they're getting wrong with trans people now. You go back 20 years ago, they were getting it all completely wrong with gay people people and lesbians you know they always just seem to be that bit behind and mm. some of it just feels like you know it's a bit i don't want to say stuffy but that's, that's kind of the term that's coming coming to mind you know there's so much red tape in everything they, they the, do the bbc are, it takes a are, long time for them to learn well the bbc are very conservative as we know mm. because we deal with them yeah um as shout out and uh, as bcfm yeah. and uh, they are very they very take conservative. yeah take a long long time to learn and adapt mm. you know mm. um i mean uh, yeah, and, and I think it's happening all over again um, with with the whole trans community. Um, and I have yeah. no doubt the BBC would get there. My question is, could it be quicker if it was privatised? Oh, I, I don't think so personally, but I don't want adverts yeah. on telly. Well, that's not, what we're talking about. You know, if they, if they, if, no. if they, um, and what happens to something as huge as the BBC World Service? Well, that's a, that's already an arm that is um, profit making. So, ah, th- th- there is a commercial arm of the BBC, that is a, yeah, that's correct, BBC but I'm not Service. sure the BBC World Service is part of no, that, the commercial no, arm is... It's, it's BBC World and BBC World Service, yes. so yeah. the World Service radio station is, n- is non-commercial. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's very respected, we should we should note, you know, yes. around, around the globe, yeah, yeah. people do listen into shortwave radio still, and still listen to the BBC, because their own media is so kind of locked up with various military junters or campaigning politicians, I you mean, know. TV is certainly going the way of the internet. You know, you you do everything streaming. You know, even Sky now, instead of going over a satellite, are selling TVs where it goes down the internet, the same as it does for Netflix. You know, it's all going that way. So if the BBC goes that way and you end up paying a subscription, it's a licence fee instead. But, you know, will it encourage them to be more um, proactive and do these things quicker? I don't know. I feel sorry for the people that used to drive those vans with the spinning roof racks, you know, checking whether people had paid their licences. You don't see them anymore, do you? No, they just send letters all the time. Probably a little bit smaller. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for a wonderful discussion, guys. That was fun. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week's show. Um, Don't just zoom by. Doesn't it just zoom by? Dear, dear, dear. (laughs) If you want to hear the show again or or any previous ones, head to our home online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Next week, as you're probably aware we kick off the start of LGBT plus history month so uh, uh, do join us for that from myself from Terry from Matthew from Steph and the rest of the team that are not here with us say bye bye everyone bye bye shout out LGBT radio for you